Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So really, we're trying to flex the payment schedule to their life knowing that most customers are going to experience a blip in the average, what, two and a half, three years that, that they'll be borrowing from us. We live in a world that is, shall we say, rich in volatility. We've always had tradespeople and small business owners whose incomes rise and fall, sometimes with seasonality, sometimes at random. We've had salespeople and commission owners. We still do. And now we have gig workers too can be stressful. A study by Gordon Sayer, PhD, an assistant professor of organizational behavior at Emlyon Business School in France, found that not only was pay volatility related to worse health in lower paid tip jobs or among freelancers in the gig economy, but for higher paid professionals working in finance and sales and marketing too, where commission and performance bonuses are common. This stress is surely exacerbated by the fact that Though incomes fluctuate and interest rates fluctuate, credit obligations are rigid. Earned £5,000 this month, your loan repayment is £1,000. Earned £2,000 next month, your loan repayment is £1,000. A much tighter squeeze. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Damien Burke, CEO and founder of Custom Credit. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brendan. Prior to stepping into the founder's role and creating this personal loan really tailored to customers' needs, you built up some very extensive banking experience with several marquee names in the British industry. So before we get into what you're doing now, what did your early career look like? Whilst I was at university, I took on a part-time role at Lloyd's Banking Group as a debt collector, as a way to earn a few extra quid and take the pain away from uh, the student loans. But we found that it was an incredibly interesting and, and, and vibrant environment to work in. As with a lot of call centers, there was a fairly heavy focus on call handling times. The additional time that I was spending with customers meant that really I, I understood what their problem was. I had a, a route through to explain to them the situation and, and how they could resolve it. And I had enough time to make sure they fully understand what the arrangement that, that we had agreed was and were able to keep to it. Yeah. And that was a really kind of good grounding in how financial services possibly should look more of the time. Taking that extra time and making it work is definitely a better approach. Plus, of course, you know, in terms of customer experience, that's where customers value it, you know, a bank. That's where you can help them more so than uh, than most places. So from a brand point of view, yeah, it's a, a better approach as well. That, that's exactly it. And, you know, it was it was quite rewarding because I did genuinely feel like I was helping. And certainly when I got to lead teams as well in, in that environment, I was able to bring some of that learning across and actually make my teams more effective as well. So it wasn't just about me as an individual, that there was an approach that I was following that genuinely worked. 
the one thing that drifted was as the, the current call handling time, but that time was more effective in terms of pounds collected per hour. So it was a good trade-off. Customer gets a better result and the, the bank gets a better result. I then spent quite a lot of time in non-customer facing roles over a 11 year period at Lloyd's and then another, what, I guess, nine year period outside of Lloyd's. I spent a lot of time in different areas, with different banking organizations, with different lenders, and really just built up that that real breadth of experience. I did a lot of zigzagging along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as, a, as a, a fellow zigzagger, I appreciate that. Damien, that path from banker to consultant is a, a well-trodden path, but yes, after sort of this 20 years of combined experience in the industry, you took the the leap to step out on your own and start building out custom credit. What was the inspiration behind that move, that one that took you from being an employee to say, okay, I'm going to go and build uh, my own fintech? You know, I think it does go back to feeling valued or or the work that I'm doing is valuable, right? Those first experiences I had speaking to customers in collections, I truly felt were valuable. And then I spent a lot, lot of that time at Lloyd's, I said, moving around different areas. And, and I felt like I added something to, to each of those areas in terms of sort of process improvement or cost effectiveness or new ways to do things, a bit of a troubleshooter. And whilst I always felt like I, I did need to move on, I did also feel like I had lots of valued input throughout that period. And, and I think the, the kind of jump from that to, to consultant was really around, well, look, I need to be brave here you know, sort of nine years at various organizations and and various company structures as well. At times, me completely independent. At times, it was white labeled through other consulting firms. At times, it was consultancy direct. But for a big period of that, I was involved in some massive, massive changes. So as an example, I came in to do, I think it was a two or three week project for Lloyd's Banking Group on divesting TSB. But that turned into, I think it was an 18 month role where I actually ended up building the unsecured capital impairment function and then doing all of the IRB changes. I then did uh, another project on IFRS 9. It was actually Lloyd's again. So even though I spent 11 years with them, I kept going back to help effectively develop a methodology for IFRS 9. So yeah, I ended up you know, creating, I think, the first signed off methodology for IFRS 9 in the UK in terms of internally signed off. So for, for years in that consultancy role, I felt really, really valued. And, and more importantly, that the work that I was doing was valuable to other people. What changed for me was that I started to value different things in myself. The, the big numbers were less valuable to me than they used to be. You know, wow, we've made a change and it saved billions of pounds. Great. It's one for the CV, but but actually, does it excite you anymore? Does it does it interest you? Is it just another variation or theme? And I started to think about whether or not I valued the work I was doing. Not really. The work that I was doing for other lenders, I didn't really feel like they weren't necessarily always coming at it from the right angle. You know, there were always a lot of other driving factors other than, you know, well, what, what does Damien think about this? You started to build custom credits just as we were coming out of the last of the sort of pandemic lockdowns, but still a time that was very unsettled in terms of the market. And now we're seeing yeah, other things happening as well. So it's been a time, obviously, for you of, of great change in terms of building out the fintech, but also in a, in a market that is volatile. What was the reality uh, of trying to get this off the ground? Tough, it's, it's, it's probably fair to say. There's numerous challenges with setting something up like this. And we haven't had a very steady background. 
So it's possibly been tougher than it otherwise would have been. The first thing was to recognise what it is that you actually need to do. Broadly, what order of those things, what is it you can directly impact? And what is it that actually probably you don't have a lot of control over or don't have a lot of experience at? I had a, as I said, like a really broad career. So, you know, put down on a on a piece of paper, these are all the things that banks or, or lenders do. You'd probably say, oh, well, Damien's covered pretty much all of it, right? But then there's a level of detail that you simply cannot have absorbed over that period of time. Did I know, you know, what a scorecard was? Absolutely. Did I know how a decision engine worked in terms of data flow broadly? Did I know the detail of how that actually have to link together? Absolutely not. And you start thinking about, well, what sort of skills do I do I need that, that I don't have? And I was actually really, really lucky with that because I stumbled across uh, a chap that I used to work with, Howie. We had a few conversations and I sold him the, the vision of what I was trying to do and he was on board. And it's kind of a little bit freaky in terms of where we share skills and where we have different skills we absolutely understand those lines. So we've been really, really fortunate in having a really, really tiny team to start off with that actually could cover a hell of a lot of ground. But what it didn't then mean was that it was easy. We had to go about the you know, cost sizing approach and you know, developing sort of financial models to get buy-in from investors. We had to get the FCA done. We submitted over a thousand pages of documentation. We kind of deliberately went overboard, right? because we felt it was the right thing to do, because we wanted the FCA to have confidence in our application. We wanted to be clear on what our intentions were, because our product is different. What we didn't want is them kind of broadly to agree it's fine, and then we get down a little bit further down the line in terms of the details about what's what's going on here. Custom credit is built around this idea of really tailoring credit to customers' needs. Talk to me about what that looks like. What is this unique approach you're taking to the provision of credit? Custom credit was really set up with three mission statements in mind. We always are asking ourselves, does this move us closer to this or or, or further away? And that is one, to become the most customer-centric fintech in the UK. Two is to ensure our colleagues better reflect our customers. And three, to improve financial literacy, both in terms of our customers and, and the broader community. I think the the product itself is tailored and, and, and custom, but to, to achieve that, the way you score and assess needs to be tailored and custom. That's often where the problem is with these other kind of flexible payment lenders. Most lenders will make a decision on, on affordability based purely on averages to estimate your, your expenditure, and they will use a combination of the information you've provided to them and an indicator from the the credit reference agencies, people with very different spending profiles and very different income profiles effectively could be judged to having the same level of affordability. So we've actually taken a different approach in that initially all of our customers will have to provide open banking data. Open banking data is not a single thing. You know, depending on which provider you use and the choices you make with that provider, Lender A using open banking data versus Lender B using open bank data will, will have a very, very different approach. So I would say at the very lowest level of use, 
you could say, well, I'll take the current data or the last three months data. You could say, I'll take aggregated data only. So effectively, I want the answer. It could even just be letting some other open banking provider tell me what the answer is. Or you could use it in a slightly more granular way, but but only looking really for reasons to, to knock something out. So I won't touch anybody that has any instance of gambling. There's a lot of lenders out there that use open banking data in that one instance to tighten their grip on, on credit. We use long periods of data, typically 12 months of data, not only looking at the, the aggregate data and the categorized data, but we're looking at effectively a transaction level to build up our own view and our own opinion of that customer's affordability to come up with a yes or a no on a specific single sum. So let's say £120 a month would be your normal monthly payment. Do we think Brendan can afford £120 a month? If you were somebody that got regular bonuses, you got a bonus twice a year, and that was a significant sum, most affordability calculations would, would kind of say, well, at least one of those numbers is out of line of the rest of the numbers. It's an anomaly. So we'll take that number away and average on the rest. And as a result, that customer would be turned away for a loan that actually they could afford. Lots of industries, construction, for example, or manufacturing, have regular overtime. They might get overtime, say, 10 months out of the 12. Again, the way those averages work, it might say, well, actually, we'll take out the significantly different number, i.e. the lower number, and we'll do an average on the rest. And, And under those circumstances, actually, that customer would be given a loan, and there's two months of the year they definitely can't afford it. Yeah, so there's always those circumstances which traditional affordability models don't don't cater for. But there's always going to be a situation where somebody's boiler blows up or they've put the car in for the MOT and it requires significantly more work than it did last time around. And that's kind of the problem with loans today is typically they don't allow for those circumstances. Custom credit loans specifically come back with a different answer, not yes or no, but we come back with a range. On a loan that's £120 a month, say 60 to 180 pounds a month. We're very, very clear that in order to achieve the cost of credit we've displayed, you have to pay that 120 pounds, right? If you pay less than that, it will take longer and it will cost you more. If you pay more than that, it will take shorter and cost you less. But we have the provision to allow us to say, well, do you know what? 60 pound is probably more appropriate this month. And because we know you're getting bonuses in the next two months, you'll then be able to pay the 180 and catch up or 181 or whatever it happens to be at that particular time. And, and we don't charge the customer for that. They wouldn't be reported as in arrears because they're not in arrears. The, the terms and conditions allow for the, the, those, those flexible payments. So really, we're trying to flex the payment schedule to their life, knowing that actually most customers are going to experience a blip in the average, what, two and a half, three years that, that they'll be borrowing yeah. from us. As soon as one domino tips over, it causes a lot of other pain in a consumer's life, both in terms of cost, but things like now your credit profile's ruined, now you're going to have to pay more for debt in the future, because for that one month, you couldn't make it, even though next month you could have paid you know, 50% more. And all these fluctuations were just the consumer's problem to, to deal with. And by acknowledging that, I guess, just building it into product design, you've allowed that to fit around a life in a way that just is so much more more natural. Yeah, absolutely that. And why is it taken to now for, for somebody to do this? I think, one, it's a bit harder. In order for that product to work long term, we need the customer to continue to allow us to have open banking data. 
previously there was a lot of hesitance around that. But I think, you know, the latest FCA financial life survey suggests that the majority of people would give and are starting to give open banking data to lenders, insurance providers, etc., where they see that there is a, a benefit to them. So I think there's a technology gain that has happened or a data gain that's happened. I think there's a greater understanding of the, of the need for that flexibility. And, and part of that was caused by the pandemic. So you'll recall a government mandated requirement to allow people to effectively take payment holidays. Now, if you look at what we're doing in, in the simplest terms, we're providing them with mini payment holidays, payment holidays that aren't the total amount. It's a bit, that might be as little as a pound, but if that means that they can feed themselves for the rest of the month and make sure they've got gas and electric and, and all that sort of stuff, then, then that's a good thing. And that's a, that's a good trade-off for them. In terms of how you manage that, are you dynamically looking through your open banking sort of view on, on this situation and each month you're adapting how much you're taking from them or, or asking from them? Or is this something that the customer goes onto an app and says, this month I need to, to pay a little bit more, a little bit less? Both. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are monitoring and, and effectively we run a, an affordability calculation every month. Well, we effectively do it daily, but in terms of the communication to the customer, it's, it's broadly monthly, um, unless something was kind of seriously going wrong. And the, the messaging is everything looks on track. We're going to take the £120 this month. If you want us to do anything different, please contact us on our contact details. Uh, it looks like things are a little bit tight this month. So we're intending to take £80. If you're okay with that, you don't need to take any action. If you want us to do something different, call us on this number. Assuming that you then catch up the following month, this will cost you an additional pound in interest, right? Another message, looks like you're pretty flush this month. Um, I'm paraphrasing, by the way. <laughs> um, you're pretty flush this month. Therefore, we're intending to take £180 so that you catch up on your previous underpayment. If you're happy for us to do that, you don't need to take any action. If you'd like to do something different, contact us on this. Assuming this all goes ahead, you'll be back on track and you will have saved one pound in interest. 
what I love about this flexibility is I think back to previous projects I've done. We would have people that were paid early in December to allow them to do their Christmas shopping. And then all the loans would sort of fall fall behind. And then we would see them recover over the next couple of months. And then it might be Easter holidays, back to school, school fees are due, fall back behind. And I've seen this in so many countries where we as modelers would sit there and we'd be looking at these patterns. Okay, <laughs> here's where the group of people fall behind and here's how they slowly recover and now they're back on track. And this is where the proper measure of risk is and this is where risk is high. <laughs> we never just change the product to to take into account those fluctuations. And then, of course, you know, you can uh, zoom in onto, onto individuals and it's, it's even more true with, with the different incomes. But yeah, it was in front of my eyes for, for 20 years and it was just a case of we would adapt the way we expected our losses to come in and go uh, rather than adapt the product. Yeah. And if you, you know, you mentioned about things being tough in terms of developing a lending product at this time. That, that's that's certainly true, and we've encountered some challenges that we've kind of generated for ourselves around the way we fund ourselves and the fact that you know we don't want to effectively have um, undue influence on our business plan and our, and our and our business model because we've taken sort of too much money too quickly, if, if that makes sense. And, and obviously, interest funding costs have, have shot up, so that's kind of changed our, our model as well. But looking at it a slightly different way, actually, this is a prime time for this type of product. So we're just riding a, a wave in terms of people being more familiar with open banking and, and, and more open to it. There's new open banking payment methods, which we will launch with. And I think we'll probably be the first lender to launch with something called variable recurring payments, effectively, a, in my opinion, an improvement on direct debit. There's a, a recognition that people are, are struggling and will find things more costly. And, and obviously, by the very virtue of the fact that we monitor that on a very regular basis, daily, we will have a better understanding of our customers and their needs than, than anybody else. So, you know, we'll be able to react to that. We'll be able to get the messaging right. We provide a lot of information to the customer through the app graphically, which shows them effectively demonstrates their spending behavior and, and patterns. And, you know, longer term, we've got other plans for, you know, how we can help customers with, with, with that sort of information. But it's all about trying to educate a customer and trying to, one, set up the product. So it's already recognizing things will go wrong in, in the three years that the customer's with us. It happens to pretty much everybody. And accepting that, also then feeding information back to the customer so that they can hopefully be more financially educated and financially aware and, and, and therefore make better decisions around how they use our loan product and, and, and potentially other um, financial services products. So you're building custom credit out of Brighton and Hove, a better city objectively than London, but one that obviously gets less time in the limelight. What's it been like building a fintech sort of away from the big city? So you mentioned Brighton and Hove. I think it's probably also worth mentioning Cardiff. The uh, co-founder, Howie, is from Cardiff. So it's our intention that all of our kind of base of operations should be in and around Brighton and Hove and in and around Cardiff. We've got a little office in, in Worthing at the moment, and... We've got third-party suppliers who will be doing our customer services on, on our behalf who are based out of uh, Pontypriv, just down the road from Cardiff. But it's very much our intention to continue on that vein. What's it like? I guess, to some degree, more difficult. My network is pretty small in Brighton and Hove. As an example, when, when we're looking to find a, a CFO, all of the, the people that I know are, are good CFOs or, or, or FDs or, or, or wherever else. 
are probably not based in Brighton and Hove. I think there's a an element of support. I think Brighton and Hove probably do a little bit more either in providing it or if they do provide it, advertising it because you know <laughs> I, I found it very difficult to come by. But you know that's a learning for for a future part of my career, right? I, I can hopefully help other businesses establish in, in and around Brighton and Hove in, in the future. I mentioned earlier that I felt like a, a lot of companies or a lot of lenders aren't necessarily that customer centric because they don't really understand their customers. I think in financial services, often decision makers aren't necessarily users of the product yeah. and therefore they don't really understand. So even if they were trying to do good things, they'd probably get it wrong more often than not. So we've been working with local charities, colleges to try and identify people that, that could join us, learn kind of on the job through apprenticeship schemes as well so they've got sort of formal training if we can build up a, a set of colleagues that that reflect our customers well and give yeah. them a say in what we do then not only will we setting up the product right hopefully in the first place but we'll continue to do the right things for customers as we as we go down the line we, we have to be very aware that people that are coming in the door to us now don't necessarily have 20 or 30 years financial services experience but what they do have is an enthusiasm and, you know, lots of ideas and lots of questions and, and all that sort of stuff, which you don't get if you've been in financial services for 20 or 30 years. You kind of know what you know and, 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 you're, and you're kind of happy with that. I don't think it's worthwhile just saying, do you know what, we're going to hire people f- from colleges and, you know, we're not going to hire primarily from Redbrook universities or, or, or whatever, unless there's a there's a good reason for it. And, and, and the good reason for, in, in, in my mind is that, you avoid groupthink, you're going to get a much better understanding of your customer base. And if you've got a better understanding of your customer base, you can deliver for them. If you deliver for them, they'll keep coming back and they'll tell their friends and you know, you'll get a wider customer base and you'll adapt to that as well. A, a lot of these things, I think you look at as a very, it's a kind of a nice thing to do, or it's a good thing to do, or it, yeah, it absolutely common sense. But often I think as well, there's a, you know, a very real business benefit to it. It's just making sure that you're always tying up what's kind of best for your customers, what's best for your colleagues, and what's best for the company. Yeah, and indeed. And I mean, I think it's a story that people can can take inspiration from. So I think there'll be quite a lot of people that want to learn more about custom credit and your journey as you launch. So what is your sort of launch timeline and plan like at the moment? And where can people go if they want to follow the story in more detail, maybe reach out to you? I think in terms of the launch, we're a bit delayed on that. I am hoping we can get the first loan out the door today, even. We are that imminent. But that's very much still for us a, a test phase. You know, as you can imagine, there's a there's a lot of technology that we want to make sure is right before we unleash it on, on the sort of general public. In terms of our journey, if people are interested, then they can connect to me on LinkedIn. I do get lots of requests. It's obviously from often business development, you know, people trying to sell me something. So I would possibly encourage people if they want to, to link in, maybe tag it as a how to lend money uh, to strangers podcast or something like that, just so I, I don't don't ignore it with somebody else trying to sell me another decision engine. Go on our website, customcredit.co.uk. Really interested to hear from young people in particular that want to do something different, that want to be a bit more entrepreneurial and take a risk. Always happy to try and help with that. So I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. But yeah, good luck. I will look forward to hearing about those first loans. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll see you around again soon. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn 
where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.